0: Welcome to episode three of MAGA Uncovered. I'm Anthony Davis, and he is... Ron Filipkowski. <laughs> Sorry to wake you, Ron. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's a brand new week. Uh, I should point out that we're actually recording this just before Donald Trump arrives at the courthouse in Miami. So we don't know what's going to happen there. We have some predictions, but we don't know. But we, we've had to record this episode because of our schedules. But uh, otherwise, we would be live. So just bear that in mind. Um, uh, just a reminder that we are about to uncover the MAGA propaganda that is not covered by the mainstream media which, as we know, causes unnecessary division and hatred in America. Uh, Trump and his allies are escalating efforts to undermine the criminal case against him and drum up protests and fundraise on dozens of felony charges, accusing him of illegally hoarding classified information, lying to the FBI about it, admitting on tape he couldn't declassify stuff and directing his staff to play cat and mouse with boxes of papers containing official secrets. Ron, the reaction to this indictment from the MAGA Republicans, the extremists, has been extreme, to say the very least. Let's uh, let's start with some of these reactions, and maybe
1: Carrie Lake's a good place to start. Carrie Lake's going to be there. Apparently, she's flying in. And you know, the, the odd thing about Carrie Lake these days is wherever Trump is, she seems to be there. Uh, she sh- when Pence backed out of the uh, Georgia GOP convention over the weekend. Carrie Lake took his spot, so uh, she appears to be doing everything she can to get that running mate position. And and part of that is going down to Miami tomorrow. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of the usual suspects. Um, Laura Loomer's group is going to be down there. Roger Stone's group, uh, some people from New York. They're they're bussing some people in. So, yeah, and he he has a press conference.
0: He has a press conference planned for the for the, for the evening, but uh, I, I don't yeah. want I don't want to talk too much about that All because right. of our, only because we're in a weird time zone together at the moment. Let's talk about what happened when the in when the indictment was unsealed, yeah. and I mean I presume you've read it. I've read it. it. It's incredible, right? It is incredible. The amount of criminality, the amount of intent. It it is it is a treasure trove of evidence for Jack Smith to present. And I mean that was only the unsealing of the of the indictment. There's gonna be a whole lot more evidence presented in court, of course. But the reaction the immediate reaction from the from the MAGA Brigade, and I'm gonna play a clip of Carrie Lake, was to basically um just go full on in that kind of deny space. No no None of this, oh, well, you know, let's let the court case do its thing and, you know, we'll prove him innocent. None of that stuff. I mean, it was just, I'll play Carrie Lake and we'll we'll, see where this this started. I have a
2: message tonight from Merrick Garland and Jack
0: Smith and Joe Biden and the guys back there in the fake news media. You should
2: listen up as well. This one's for you. If you want to get to President Trump, you're going to have to go through me and you're gonna to have to go through 75 million Americans just like me. And I'm gonna tell you, yep, yeah, most of us are card-carrying members of the NRA.
0: I mean,
1: she's auditioning for the VP role, isn't she? Absolutely. So a couple things there. Number one, when when her and Trump point uh, back there to the fake news, usually there's no fake news there. Most of the press don't even cover their events anymore. So sometimes when they're pointing back, I've I've talked to the the right-wing reporters who attend these rallies. Sometimes they're only pointing at like two or three right-wing media people, and they just laugh among themselves when they get pointed at like that. But that's number one. Number two, this is a similar playbook that we've seen with some of the same people, her, Charlie Kirk, and others to January 6th. In other words, this call to arms—we got to go fight for Trump—and yet all of the people who call for this kind of nonsense uh, just suddenly don't show up. They—they're they're not in the front lines. They—they they want other people. They want to incite other people to do their dirty work, and that's really what's happening right now. They're—I think—they're hoping for some kind of chaos, uh, but they certainly don't want to be the ones in the middle of it. And.
0: You know, to use this incitement of violence language, I mean, this is January 6th all over again. Yep. It's not just coming from her. She doesn't hold office, right? She didn't win the governorship, even though God told her she, she did. But we're also seeing this from people who are current kind of representatives and, and some of the tweets that have been going on. I'll show Andy
1: Biggs' his tweet. Just explain this. Yeah, so Andy is just one of these guys who talks t- talks a big game, and but is nowhere to be found when the action, when the bullets start flying, you know, so to speak. So, yeah, that's what these guys do. They incite. They whip their people into a frenzy. Um, you know, this is knowing their audience and the way their people are. This is not the kind of thing that needs to be put out uh, by the leaders of the party. It's not helpful. It it incites the crazies. The good thing is, I think, though, is after January 6th, the response by the Justice Department, how tough they were with those people, has really set the tone. So what I see from the rank-and-file MAGA people is they're seeing these messages, but they're going, hey, uh, we're not going to do anything crazy this time because we don't want to be in jail. So I, I think it's a lot of this is falling on deaf ears. It's getting people whipped up on social media, but I don't think anything's going to happen. Because Trump's language has been...
0: They don't want us to win. We're leading in the polls. That's the reason why they've sent the DOJ after us. He's blaming Biden. Now, he's not really ahead in the polls. I mean, it depends which polls you look at, obviously, in in his head polls. But, you know, using that kind of language, it's very dangerous for the bigger picture of democracy, isn't it?
1: it's the same playbook as 2020. Six months before the 2020 election, he started setting up this argument that if I lose, it's gonna be because it was stolen. They're going to cheat, they're gonna steal it from me. He said that repeatedly over and over again. He did it and, and leading up to the 2020 election to set up January 6th. He's doing it again with this court case now. He's saying, he, he was said for months and months and months uh, if if they're going to come after me because I'm going to win, I'm leading in the polls, they're just trying to stop me. Election interference, he's posted a million times on social media. So, and, and the fact that he declared earlier than any other presidential candidate in history shows that he was setting that up. What he wants to say is, I'm. it's a chicken and egg thing. I'm being prosecuted because I'm running. Rather than, the truth is the other way around, he's running because he's being prosecuted.
0: And that thing about election interference, that is a very clever play from him, isn't it? Taking yeah. language that has nothing to do with, you know, when we, when we think of election interference, we think of a foreign um, nation interfering with our election or Cambridge Analytica or something like that. But what he's doing is he's using those words, election interference, and making it look like the Justice Department are responsible for interfering in his chances of winning the election
1: next year. Exactly. And and that's what propagandists and autocrats do. They come up with clever, simple slogans for for their masses that that's really what they understand best. And they repeat them over and over again like a mantra. Build thou wall, lock her up, election interference. And, you know, if you re- the, the idea is you repeat it enough times, you say it over and over again, that it's going to sink in, people believe it. And the polls usually reflect that. Over time, the more you repeat something, the more people start to believe it. And but it's it, a familiar playbook.
0: It also dilutes the true value of the subject of election interference, doesn't it? Because, of yeah. course, that is something that we have to look out for, and it is something that is important. But by redefining it, to mean that it's him being kicked out of the race is, is very dangerous. I want to play a clip of uh, Grant Stinchfield. It's only short, and then you can tell
1: us what the hell's going on here. It won't matter. There's nothing in the Constitution that says he can't be president from inside prison. And then once he gets there, well, he can pardon himself. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Grant... Used to be a Newsmax host. He was fired last year, uh, so now he's doing his show on Real America's Voice, which is the same platform that uh, cut, that does uh, Steve Bannon show. So that that's what that's who Stinchfield is. Um, yeah, I mean this is kind of the nutty fantastical thinking. Um, but it's also why Trump is going to do everything he can to delay this trial until after the election. I mean I think his plan is to to do that and to pardon himself. Uh, but yeah, this this. This statement is kind of nutty, that even if he's in prison, he's, he's still going to be campaigning and imparting himself from prison. I don't, I don't think anybody, anybody in MAGA really wanted to hear that from Grant. I don't think they want to go there, uh, but he's, he's kind of thinking it through for us. He's got it all figured out.
0: Isn't this the problem, though, that um, delaying, uh, delaying the, the trial... And I can totally see why he would want to do that. But Jack Smith specifically said, we want to do this quickly. We want this to be a quick trial. Jack Smith obviously has his own plans for how this is going to go. Who has, you know, you're the lawyer in this conversation. So so who has jurisdiction over these decisions?
1: Yeah, the problem is, Judge. this is where Judge Cannon is a problem. So we know that Judge Eileen Cannon is on this case. She was the judge who originally did the documents case got reversed. Many people have talked about that over and over again. But really when you have when you want to understand Donald Trump's approach to the legal system and to lawyers in general and to delays, you have to go back to Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn is is the source of everything when it comes to Donald Trump's approach. Roy Cohn was his first attorney. He was really Donald Trump's mentor in the 70s and 80s, and Donald Trump's entire approach to the justice system and to some degree politics in general comes directly from Roy Cohn, which is when they're coming after you, you attack the attackers, you smear them, you delay, you obstruct This is all part of what he taught Donald Trump. So I think absolutely his strategy in this particular case and the other cases is to drag them out and delay them until after the election. And he hopes that that's, and so the question is, is Judge Cannon gonna let him do that? Is she going to allow all of these postponements and continuances? That we don't know. I mean, they're saying that she
0: must recuse herself from the case and if she refuses, uh, be reassigned by the appropriate judicial oversight authorities? I mean, that's what we've been talking about on Legal AF and here Midas Touch. What are the
1: chances of that in your view? Well, it's very easy for a judge to recuse herself. I mean, she, could, she doesn't even have to give a reason. She could just say, I'm recusing myself, um, and that's just it, and it's going to be reassigned. Is she likely to do that? Probably not. Uh, but who knows? Uh, so that, but but for an attorney, for one of the parties to get a judge recused from a case is a completely different different matter. That's very difficult. So you would have you can't show oh she's ruled against us in the past based on her rulings in the past. That's it's almost impossible to re- disqualify a judge based on past rulings. You have to find some sort of Political involvement, political statement, or statement about the case that she may have made, or some connection she has to the parties of a personal or business nature, and that's what's lacking here. I, I I really don't see her being, unless she takes herself off the case. I don't see the Justice Department being able to do it. Mike Pence has thrown
0: his hat into the ring for 2024. Um, (laughs) He really is a shell of a man, isn't he? In so many ways, and. He's, he's, he's an actor, basically. He's playing Mike Pence. Maybe we'll find out who the actor is that plays Mike Pence because he's not a very good actor. His reaction to this indictment was so contradictory, saying that, you know, with one hand we should follow the law and in the other hand, but not with Trump. I mean, is he just, I know they're not really on speaking terms, but is it that he and everybody else is just so terrified of Donald Trump's
1: wrath that they'll just come out with this stuff? I've paid pretty close attention to Mike Pence over the last couple of weeks and listened carefully to his un- unveiling of his platform and, and his his approach to this. It's clear, as with all, with all things Pence, everything is thought out, planned, scripted. He doesn't do anything off the cuff, you know? And this particular answer, his response to Trump's indictment, you can tell, as with his, his, his discussions about January 6th, is carefully crafted. So what he said, what his position is, as far as the indictments go, is, yes, he's not with the others saying Trump did nothing wrong. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, well, these, these allegations are very troubling. The evidence is very bad. I don't excuse what he did. However, to heal the country and to bring the country together, we should make an exception for a former president and just let this go and move on, which is the perfect. Penceian answer. The problem with what Pence does on this and other things is it satisfies nobody. That answer that he gave pissed off MAGA and pissed off the left, so I'm not really sure, you know, when he comes up with these prevarications, I'm not really sure who his audience is for this stuff. I feel like, you know, he he, he admitted the other day that he
0: is a Christian first, a conservative second, and a Republican third. Yeah. And and I think a lot of these people are getting their guidance from God. You know, people who are, who are evangelical, they're getting their guidance from God. I'll play the clip. People okay. can make up their own minds.
2: Solves these issues without an indictment,
3: sir. I just want to clarify. What you're saying is that if they believe he committed a crime, they should not go forward with an indictment. You just talked before about no, look, committing to the rule of law.
2: Let me be clear that no one's above the law. Okay. But with regard to the unique circumstances here, it, look, I, I, those classified, I had no business having classified documents in my residence, and I took full responsibility for it. President Biden had no business having them in his residence from when he was vice president as well. And the same with former President Trump. But I, I would just hope that uh, there would be a way For them to move forward without the dramatic and drastic and divisive step of indicting a former president of the united states we've got to find a way to move our country forward and and restore confidence in equal treatment under the law in this country we really do yeah
1: (laughs) yeah that's just a pathetic answer that's just the worst possible answer i mean i i don't i don't get it first of all the word but should never come after You know, everybody, we should follow the law. But I mean, Mm. the word but should never come after that phrase. Yeah. You know, especially from a
0: former vice president who is now seeking the presidency. I mean, that's the thing. You know, when you when you hold high office, you have to be a a, you have to be a kind of stickler for for the for the Constitution, (laughs) for the rules, for the for the kind of the playbook of the country. Something that Trump himself never read.
1: Yeah. And and it's once again, we should make an exception for Trump. You know, yeah. the law should you, you can't say the law should apply equally to everyone. And then in your very next breath, say, but it really shouldn't apply to Donald Trump. And then and then add the what about of his case and Biden's case, which are nothing. Neither neither him nor Biden were told by the Justice Department over the course of a year to give over their documents and they refused. And they tried to negotiate. They tried to hang on to him. And they tried to move him. And they tried to hide him. Pence didn't do that. Biden didn't do that. What, what the reason Trump would have never been charged, he's not charged for having the documents. If he had given the documents back when they first requested him, this never would have happened. He's charged because he obstructed and t- tried to hide and prevaricate and do everything he can not to give this stuff back.
0: What are these rumors about? the $2 billion that Jared Kushner received and Saudi Arabia. And, I mean, is there a chance that Trump's already done some
1: kind of transactional deal, you know, flogging this paperwork? One never knows. I mean, I, I, probably not. But I, I think what he wanted them for is leverage. They're, what we're probably going to find out, if we ever do, is that probably each document, he had a different purpose. Maybe yeah. some things he wanted to just show off, Maybe other things he felt like they could be useful to use against a specific person. Other things he thought could benefit him. And maybe there was also a financial uh, interest. I, I posted the, um, the clip, an old clip of him talking about Richard Nixon and the fact that Richard Nixon had taken a lot of stuff that the government wanted to get back. And they reached a settlement with his estate for $18 million. So the Nixon estate got $18 million from the government. Well, Congress passed a law right after that. Uh, that said you can't do that anymore. You know, the government cannot pay an ex-president to get documents back. He's just got to give them back. So why would Trump, it's curious for Trump to bring that up. Oh, look, Richard Nixon made 18 million yeah. bucks off these yeah. documents, you know? He's obviously done his homework. And, you know, he he holds <laughs> Nixon
0: and Reagan in, in such high regard. Yes. And it, it's very interesting, is it, who his mentors are. And, and Roy Kahn who you mentioned, I think, wasn't he Fred Trump's lawyer initially? And like, buddy, and Fred, Trump's dad
1: introduced him to Trump and said, you keep this guy close. Yeah. And he was also counsel for the Joseph McCarthy in right. the House Un-American Affairs Committee. Yeah, he was, he's an evil bastard. He was a terrible human being in every respect. and And so much of who he is and what he's all about, really rubbed off on young Donald Trump, unfortunately. I think Cohn was more of a mentor to Trump than Trump's own dad.
0: I, I was thinking about, you know, when I was reading the indictment and the, the unsealed indictment, I was thinking, Donald Trump has got to be one of the worst humans ever to, like, roam the, the streets of America. I mean, really, a, a truly terrible person to to... to manipulate the FBI in this way, to think that he can get one over the authorities, to have this ego where he is, you know, his white privilege, his wealth, being all-powerful. I mean, it is really the most disgusting type of human that does not fit into a civilized society.
1: And look at how he treated this Navy veteran, Walt Nauta, you know, who's, I mean, he's he's out there yelling and screaming how terrible it is that, that his 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 employee was uh, was indicted. Well, he's the one. It's the same thing with January 6th with Ashley Babbitt. You know, he complains. Well, he's the one who got Ashley Babbitt killed and he's the one who got Walt Nauta indicted. Okay, so it's not anybody else's fault, but he never takes responsibility. He never takes the blame. And by the way, his uh, trip to uh, this weekend to Georgia and North Carolina, who was by his side? Walt Nauta. He is going to keep that guy next to him and make sure he employs his attorney every step of the way, because he wants to make sure that Nauta is going to be on Team Trump and not cooperate with the government. On the subject of attorneys,
0: something was so we could have predicted this, but as the uh, indictment was announced and then unsealed, uh, two lawyers who represented Trump in the months before the indictment um, f- with these federal charges over his handling of the classified documents quit. Uh, it was Friday morning, I think they quit. Jim Trustee, John Rowley, they didn't explain in detail why they'd resigned, other than to say in a joint statement, this is a logical moment to do so, given the indictment. Um, and they said they will no longer represent Trump in the pending federal criminal probe into his efforts to overturn his loss in the 2020 election uh, to Joe Biden.
1: I mean, Trump said he'd fired them. Yeah. It's not a logical moment to do so. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> yeah. no, to abandon your client immediately after he's charged. No, I think probably what they saw in that indictment was maybe some things that Trump had lied to him about. That, that's what I think. I, right. I think Trump had misled them about a lot of things. And when they saw the indictment, they realized that their client had been lying to them about all of this, and they wanted out. And uh, and Trump's having such a difficult time finding another attorney because nobody he's burned all his bridges. Nobody wants to represent a guy who doesn't listen. The problem with Donald Trump right now is he gets most of his legal advice, not from his attorneys that he has retained. He'll retain an attorney to represent him on something. But then and that, that attorney might be telling him one thing, but then he'll see some other lawyer on Fox News who'll say something different and he'll go with that and he'll start spouting off and saying, "Well, what about this?" So, this is why he's such a nightmare of a client. He 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 sees lawyers on TV and he picks up things and he reads things on the internet and he starts spouting off when his own attorneys might be giving him completely different advice.
0: This is why he chooses such glamorous and good-looking female attorneys because he sees them on television where they where they're TV ready. Um, let's see what one of them, Christina Bob, had to say.
3: Um, and they say this throughout the indictment, but I'll just give one example. Paragraph four states that at 12 p.m. on January 20th, 2021, Trump ceased to be president, says a bunch of other things. And then it says Trump was not authorized to possess or retain those classified documents. That is legally and factually inaccurate. Who has the authority to determine what he's allowed to retain? The president. It's Donald Trump. It's not the Department of Justice. It's not NARA. It's not the archivist. It's the president. So, who has the authority to determine whether he's allowed to keep those documents? Donald Trump. So, I think the entire indictment is based on a very faulty legal reasoning that seems to blatantly ignore the Presidential Records Act and the only precedent that has already been set for this exact set of facts. So, I I don't know how they're going to get around that, but it's certainly going to be fun to. To watch and see what they try to do.
0: All that work that Jack Smith did all for nothing, because Christina Bob has worked out that it's a flawed indictment.
1: He should have listened to her at the beginning and saved himself the effort. This is the problem. He these are the kind of people that he listens to because he saw them on OAN. She was an OAN host, or Newsmax, or or the internet. Like Mike Davis is a frequent legal analyst guest on. Steve Bannon show or Tom Fitton. He loves the judicial watch guy. Tom Fitton is not an attorney, but he claims to be a legal expert. These are the kind of people that Trump listens to. So, you know, I don't know that Christina Bob has ever done criminal jury trials or ever done a federal case. And yet, but she's an expert on the, on this, on the, on the, on the uh, indictment. She knows more than Jack Smith. And even she's laughing at Jack Smith saying he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, this is the hubris of these people. So, but this is a real big problem for Trump. The problem for Trump is he ignores the people who really do know what they're talking about and seeks out people like her who don't because they, they tell him what he wants to hear. I think about
0: what it must be like in Mar-a-Lago in, in, in his orbit. And incidentally, if you look on the Yelp app, which I've done and searched the Mar-a-Lago club, there's all these pictures that regular people who've paid to go for dinner have taken of trump and the family and it's like it's the most kind of open space you know it really you don't have to if you've got cash you can you can get in there
2: sure but
0: you know trump is in mar-a-lago trump is still the president right call it the winter white house or whatever you like he is still the president he wears the badge he walks around in the, with the same puffed out chest as he did on capitol hill he is you know he, he, to all intents and purposes, he's playing the role of the president. And I guess when he's had a conversation with Christina Bob and said, look, you know, it's up to me to declassify things. I'm the president. In that environment, in that orbit, in in that kind of Trump space, she's like, yeah, of course you do, sir, comma, yeah. sir. Yeah. And 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 that's how I feel that he operates with these people. It's like, It's a bit, I don't know, it's a bit like the chocolate room in the Willy Wonka movie. You know, it's like a fake space where he can pretend to be the president, where people will come and dote on him, sycophants will join, people will pay big bucks to have access to him. I mean, if he is put under house arrest in Mar-a-Lago, that's like his dream. He just gets to be the president in in West Palm Beach forever.
1: Yeah, I posted a clip about a month ago that really shows this this aura, this mentality, which is, you know, every time he walks into the ballroom or a dining room or something at Marilago, a lago everybody's supposed to stop and stand yeah. up and applaud. And you know, it's this thing. Well, there was one clip where he walked into a luncheon. I think he had just come off, a off the golf course. And there was a lot of old people there eating, you know, like people in their eighties trying to have their lunch and he stood there for a minute and nobody noticed him or saw him and and that's not supposed to happen at Marilago everybody's supposed to you know jump to attention and cheer and applaud so he stood there for a second you could see the look on his face he was very annoyed and then one of his aides maybe announced that he was there and then you see you know some of the old people were struggling to get out of their chairs so they could stand and applaud but that that perfectly illustrates what goes on at Miralago when he walks around there what you just said he's the king He's like the emperor, and everybody's a yes man. Everybody's telling him how wonderful he is, how great everything's going. So this is a problem. I mean, it's a problem throughout history. You've seen it in leaders all over the world. When you surround, it's a problem with Vladimir Putin. When you surround yourself with a handful of people who tell you everything you want to hear and how wonderful you are, it warps your mind. It, it would happen to anybody. Carrie Lake experienced this, didn't she?
0: Because every, yeah. she claims everybody she spoke to in Arizona said they voted for her. Well, right. <laughs> anybody who didn't vote for her would cross the street not to bump into her. Everybody, everybody who did vote for right. her is very happy to have an interaction. And you know, this is a this is a big problem, isn't it, for people who are narcissistic or people who are. You know, even these religious fanaticals who who believe that it's their God given right to to win and win the presidency or win the win the governorship. I mean, how how do we go forward? Because, you know, I'm including Mike Pence in this as well. Because I'm really you know, I, I, I had a an fascinating guest on the weekend show on Sunday talking about this kind of far right Christian nationalism and this and this, you know, obsessive desire to kind of feel like this is all God's decision and to and to follow you know God's rule and you know it's very hard to argue with these people I mean it's not good the separation of church and state is there for a reason
1: well not according to them the problem is if you feel like your side is chosen by God or ordained by God the other side must be against God you know and so they really have it in their mind that democrats are all satanist atheist none of them are christians none of them believe have faith which is of course definitely not true i mean there's so many so many democrats go to church every week they're they're just as christian as the right they just don't wear it on their sleeve they don't broadcast it you know their faith isn't their isn't their outward identity so much like like it is on the right. So that's the problem is when you believe that God is on our side, that means that the other side is against God. And, and so they're not just political opponents. It's a matter of good versus evil. And you hear that a lot in their messaging. This is good versus evil. This is not right versus left. It's good versus evil. It's God versus Satan. You hear that messaging a lot. And
0: also to, you know, Trump is branding the Democrats obviously as radical, which is, you know, completely untrue you know you compare the the left in the u.s to the left in, in in europe and you know it's the the left here is is very centrist by comparison yeah uh, uh, that that desire to kind of project and to use the fascist term you know the, the fascists and you know he uses language that really could be used to
1: describe him but he projects it in the direction of
0: joe biden
1: yeah. You know, when Biden gave his first speech about MAGA Republican, you know, when he, when he first came out and it was the one I was a little bit critical of it because I didn't like the whole setup, the lighting, the stage. Yeah, yeah it was but, a bit too much. Yeah. Yeah. But when he came out, he, he didn't distinguish in that speech between MAGA Republican and Republican. OK, right. he he just kind of came out and, and talked about how Republicans have become radicalized. And I was a little bit upset about that speech because I thought he really needed to be clear because you can't, you can't vilify or condemn or, or accuse of being right-wing extreme of 74 million people who voted for Trump. And I know that 74 million people are not MAGA. They're not radical. They're not radical right. Many of them are low information. They barely watch the news, but they happen to vote Republican. So I thought it was very good when they cleaned that up the next day and in subsequent days by saying, no, the president is talking about MAGA Republicans, that one third of, of the Republican Party that's radicalized. So the, the thing is, the Republicans don't do that though. They lump all Democrats, are Marxist communists. You know, <laughs> they, they're all, there's no like normal Democrat, according to them. You know, they're all Marxist. So I think it's, it's good for Democrats to make that distinction when they're talking about radicals, but, but no, it doesn't work in reverse.
0: Tell me about, uh, Donald Trump's obsession with Venezuela, because this is a, this is like a whole <laughs> new, whole new thing. And it actually contradicts some of what happened towards the end of his presidency. Um, just explain it and then I'll, I'll play the little video.
1: So this was a riff, you know, in the, in the, in the most damaging Trump speech stuff, uh, it are his riffs you know when he when he deviates from the script and this was a situation where he this came out of left field i'm sure the person who wrote his speech jason miller or whoever um wasn't wasn't pro- probably was when he said this was probably like oh my god what did he just it was, say It was like a ron burgundy moment right yes don't, yes know, don't don't come off the prompt and this is sort of my point about press coverage of trump which is I don't think they should air his rally speeches. I don't think they should cover everything that he does. No. But when something like this happens, when he says we should invade Venezuela and seize all their oil, that should get a lot of coverage. And it doesn't. It doesn't. These crazy things. This is my mantra that I've said many times. I've said it on this show. When he says these nutty things. This should get blown up for the average, independent, moderate voter that's out there needs to hear him when he's at his most crazy. And this, this is Donald Trump at his most crazy. How about we're
2: buying oil from Venezuela? When I left, Venezuela was ready to collapse. We would have taken it over. We would have gotten all that oil. It would have been right next door. But now we're buying oil from Venezuela, so we're making a dictator very rich. Can you believe this? Nobody can believe it. You know where the oil, you know, their oil is garbage. It's horrible. The worst you can get, tar. It's like tar. And to refine it, you need special plants.
0: What is he even talking about? It's like tar. I mean, the, and here's the interesting thing, because I did a little bit of research on this. But in 2021, just literally like days before leaving the White House, he announced that he would offer Venezuelan exiles protection from deportation, a move that he'd considered for years but refused to do until his last full day in office. I mean, what is this obsession with Venezuela for good or for
1: bad? Well, and then a lot of these refugee migrant flights have involved Venezuelans, too. Yeah. So why are we picking on Venezuela so much? Yeah, I mean, because I do think, you know, they had, had a Marxist takeover of their government. They had a, a very radical left uh, you know, you could argue communist uh, government there for a while with Chavez. So I think that that's why one of the reasons why, because he knows that his base has a negative opinion of Venezuela because of their government. In fact, during the 2020 campaign, you heard a lot. Joe Biden, especially in South Florida, we heard this a lot on the Spanish radio stations. They were running ads saying, you know, Joe Biden wants to make the United States like Venezuela. And, And that aired a lot because they were trying to to get that to the Spanish. It's one reason why uh, he did so well in Dade County. They want to get that to the Spanish voters. Uh, uh, so yeah, this is his obsession with Venezuela. But you know what? What's odd is you know he says, "Well, I I I would have taken over the country and seized their oil." I mean, that's something that somebody needs to follow up on. You know, yeah. like, what do you mean exactly? How is that going to work? We're going to take over Venezuela. Well, he
0: would have seized the tar. I mean, that's the (laughs) other thing. He contradicted himself. He obviously wants to lay a whole lot of road. I mean, my theory on it, Ron, was that because Hugo Chavez was blamed for interfering with the election with the Dominion voting machines, that he had a vendetta against Venezuela because it was suggested that Venezuela is the reason that he lost the election.
1: Yeah, that, I think that mixes into it. Venezuela has become like a boogeyman, sort of like Cuba or, or, or Soviet Union was for so many years. You know, you find the country that's supposed to be the bad guy. Well, unfortunately, the traditional bad guys like North Korea and Russia, he won't criticize. So now he picks on places like Venezuela.
0: Yeah, and we've seen North Korea. Um, Kim Jong-un, just a day or so ago, had a meeting with Vladimir Putin. There was a photograph of them clinking champagne glasses. I mean, that's yeah. that's not a good relationship. And, you know, you can you can backtrack the 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 intellectuals amongst us will be able to backtrack that connection between Donald Trump, his presidency and actually bringing North Korea and Russia closer together, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, let's talk about running mates for 2024, because there's a few in the offing, um, not least the um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, former former press secretary and um, now.
1: Was she governor of Arkansas? Yes. Yeah, her name was floated. I'm sticking with Elise Stefanik. uh, and, And, you know, she's really, really working hard to get that spot. I mean, there's multiple people that want it. Carrie Lake clearly wants it. Lake, yeah, she's everywhere. She's, she's yeah. going to stop everyone else from getting it, isn't she? She shadows him. I just don't think he's going to take her because she really doesn't have any clout outside of the MAGA base. He's got to yeah. get somebody. He's not stupid politically. He knows he has to get somebody who's going to attract some moderate voters outside the MAGA base. Carrie Lake is not the answer to that. Marge Gre- Marjorie Taylor Green wants the spot badly. Same problem, you know. She's not going to give give him any new voters. in fact, she's going to lose they're going to lose voters for him. so that's why I focus in on i uh, Huckabee Sanders, I mean, I don't think she um meets his criteria of what he wants a candidate to look like, and he's big on on that, on physical appearance, stature, all of that kind of thing. He's not going to go with her for that reason so so we're settled back into Christy Nome, I think. And are the favorites, and um, Elise Stefanik. And I will note that you know he likes Nome because she's telegenic, she's well spoken, she's reasonably popular in her state, she says all the right things. So I think he wants a woman also. Um, but Stefanik, you know he he re- he posts her a lot on his true social. In other words, she'll go on and do these TV hits and and he'll clip it. he'll somebody'll send him the clip. And he'll <laughs> he posts Stefanic clips a lot. And so that sort of tells me that he's really digging what she's saying these days. And everything she's saying is pro-Trump.
0: Um I, I, I learned uh, on the weekend show that you know Mike Pence was chosen last time around because he he kind of represented the Christian right. Yeah, and, and he and needed that. He really needed that that yep. audience. Yep.
1: Will Stefanic do that for him? Not the Christian right so much. Um, I think she's Catholic, as as a matter of fact. But no, I think what he likes about her is she's very, very smart. She's very tough. She's from the Northeast. Um, She's got the connections in Congress. So she wants the job very badly. She'll be loyal. Um, I think those are all the traits that he's looking at with her. I think he probably feels like he can control her maybe a little more than Gnome. I think he also wants somebody who maybe doesn't have presidential aspirations of their own, which is maybe why he would go away from a Christy gnome who clearly wants to be president someday. No, the reason why I like gnome in the mix because Ron DeSantis and gnome don't like each other, so I think that that appeals to him. You know, to stick it to DeSantis by taking gnome.
0: Whatever happens, Carrie Lake is going to say that she actually won the vice presidency. <laughs> And, and it, it's just, it was fraud. Um, right. you, you mentioned DeSantis. Let's talk about him. Uh, since this indictment was announced, he's gone quiet, right? The, he, yeah. he really has kind of gone into the shadows. Yeah. Um, I, we've spoken before about the fact that he's just waiting for Trump to be prosecuted so he can then be the leading candidate. W- what's going through his mind right now, do you think?
1: well it's clear what his strategy is his his strategy yes he's 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 banking on these indictments really hurting trump and and there's more coming most likely so i think that that's he's just hanging on in this campaign long enough that hopefully some of that stuff will set in at the main at at the same time He understands that if he does somehow beat Trump, he's got to get he's got to unite the party at that point and win over these MAGA voters. So he's got to be careful. That's why he's not really commenting on the indictments one way or the other. Um, He's saying very little. The only thing he'll say is, well, Biden did it, too. Or the Justice Department is weaponized. He'll he'll make all of those, you know, bland statements, um, prepared type statements. But but he's not going to. I don't think he's going to really defend Trump very much on it. And I don't think he's really going to um, attack Trump on the indictments. He's just going to stay silent and let the criminal justice system do his work for him. That's what Mike Pence should have said (laughs) and didn't, right? It would have been better than what he did say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is there a hope in hell of of Trump doing a deal with Mike Pence to kind of come back and make it a Trump-Pence
1: year? No, no, no. Not Trump, in a million Trump, years. Trump, has, Trump reads his base, and his base would absolutely go nuts. Yeah, the MAGA base despises Pence. Uh, the bridge is burned. Trump understands that. he. You can see there's a thaw there. He doesn't criticize Pence anymore. Um, he doesn't go out of his way to go after him. I think the main reason, though, why he does that is because Pence testified to the grand jury pence may be a trial witness against him in the january 6th case so he doesn't want to completely burn his bridges with pence but no as far as like pence ever running together with yeah, trump he's, de- he's never going to no. come
0: back from a potential hanging which is what mike pence had to look forward to under under donald trump's right order um i want to talk a bit more about uh DeSantis because he um there was a ceremony the other day with, with Joe Biden renaming Fort Bragg as, as Fort Liberty, right? And DeSantis like shows up a few hours later and really kind of plays to the, those who are critical of the, of the woke mob. I'll show the clip and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. And
1: I also look forward to, uh, as president, restoring the name of Fort Bragg to our great military base in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And thank the people that have served there. And they're proud of their service there. And it's an iconic name and an iconic base. And we're not gonna let political correctness run amok in North Carolina.
0: I mean, that was just hours after Biden's speech at Fort Liberty, renaming Fort Liberty. I mean, it's so offensive, isn't it? To kind of really turn on the president so quickly.
1: Well. Everybody, this makes no sense to me. I mean, this. Is, everybody knew that. Everybody knew that this was coming. This isn't something that was just announced, and he's responding to it. This has been known for months that the base yeah. was going to be renamed. So, I don't understand why Ron DeSantis wants to die on the hill of renaming a base after a Confederate general. <laughs> First of all, you know, Bragg was a terrible general. <laughs> Bragg was one of the most incompetent. Confederate, I don't even know why the base was named after him to begin with. He's one of the most incompetent Confederate generals. He was fired. His troops hated him. So why you would name a base after this guy, I don't know. And why Ron DeSantis now wants to make it a feature of his presidential campaign that he wants to rename a base after a Confederate general who was terrible. Um, it, It makes, I don't, I don't get it. It, it, I guess it's pandering to that sliver of Right-wing Republicans in North Carolina that maybe like tradition, but it's pandering that again turns off the middle of the country. The middle of the country the voters are not clamoring to keep bases named after Confederate generals. <laughs> that is not something that that appeals to the most of the country. So, uh, yeah, positions like this are things that are just going to kill him if he does get the nomination. But anything that is in the kind of woke arena is where
0: he's headed, right? Yeah, yeah. And he just sees this as a woke thing. You change in the name. Why do you need to change the name? And obviously, the history of the Confederacy does not chime in such a negative way with people who are fascists or who are xenophobes or or who, who are bigoted, right? So to him and to, I'm sure, a good number of his supporters, it's no big deal. Keeping it as the, keeping the name in, in, as Fort Bragg, but can, he can really we... loves this this woke space for him it's going to kill him as you say, but he maybe it's because he gets such a reaction from the audience whenever he talks about woke things that he feels in his inexperience that if the if the crowd loves it then it must
1: be a vote winner the the argument be- of the right on this stuff is the left is trying to erase our history right they want to take they want to demean the founding fathers they want to take all of the mythology about the united states and they want to demonize it and they want to portray the united states as an evil country birthed in slavery all of this kind of thing and i think sometimes people on the far left play into their hands when they start removing statues of Theodore Roosevelt or Abraham Lincoln from elementary schools or, you know, county courthouses. Uh, So, so it sort of plays into their hands because what they, what the right says is, see, it's not just about Confederate generals. It's about our whole history. They want to, they want to remove in a race. So, so yeah, it plays in, it plays into that feeling that many right wingers have that the left wants to Portray the United States as an evil country.
0: Um, let's talk about Disney just for a second, because do you remember a uh, um, year or two ago when there was the first kind of Nazi rally that took place in Florida, and they said to DeSantis, "Why won't you denounce this? Why won't you criticize it?" And he kind of changed the subject. Yep, probably wasn't as long ago as that, was it? Maybe maybe it was within a year, and. And I was like, wow, you know, and I, I think a lot of people, especially Jewish people around the country, were like, how is it possible that in 2023 there are people out with n- Nazi flags doing Nazi salutes and uh, a governor is, is not kind of getting involved, thinks that, oh, well, that's their free right to, to do whatever they want. I mean, that was very, very serious. Well, it's happened again. It's happened multiple times since then, but it's happened again multiple- this week
1: outside Disney. Well, and it'll keep happening because he doesn't condemn it. See, if he'd have come out the first time or he'd have come out after that or Trump or whoever else and said, we're not going to tolerate this. This is ridiculous. This is makes us look bad. This is terrible. I don't think these people would have kept going back, but they're going back because he won't condemn it. And here's the problem. Orlando, not just Disney, but all the Orlando resorts depend very heavily on tourism, of course, especially international tourism. And images like this go out all over the world. They're played in Europe, as you know, Israel, Japan, All everybody knows the Nazi flag. So that iconic image from the weekend of the Nazi flag in front of the Disney World Magic Kingdom sign is what went out to the world. Now how do you think that that you you can tell me how do you think that that affects tourism and somebody in London who may be thinking about either a Disney vacation or maybe going to a different country or a different state that that might tip the balance when they see something like that? Here's the video. Do you
3: have in your.
0: I think there was some audio on there that we didn't hear, but it's some screaming and, you know, it was pretty uh, horrendous. And that was no, it wasn't like one person with a flag. I mean, there was a good few people there. Um, This is obviously, you know, Nazism, to talk about Nazism. I mean, it used to be something that small groups would do kind of under the radar, right? And there would be like secret, secret far-right Nazi meetings would take place. Now it's on the street. Now it's in broad daylight. It's not even in the evening.
1: It's at a time when kids are showing up to go and meet Mickey Mouse. Yep. And that's the problem. And that goes out to the whole world, sees that. And, and it costs us money. It, it, it already decla- this culture war on Disney is, is causing economic problems with the tourism industry. And this is coming out of COVID when he basically declared war on you know, the cruise ship industry and, and so many other elements of tourism over COVID. So now we have this. It's just, if he would just come out and strongly, these are his supporters. If he would come out and strongly condemn them, they would stop. But it, it, this comes from Trump. It's like, you don't alienate the base. You don't criticize the base, no matter what they do. And, and just to go back to 2016, you know, Trump
0: needed everybody because he knew he didn't necessarily have the votes to win. And, so, and then he did it again in 2021 when he, when he lost. He then opened his kind of, he welcomed in groups that would otherwise not be welcome in a mainstream political environment because he wanted the, gr- he wanted the numbers. Yep. And he was prepared to take anybody. And, and so there was no standards anymore. You know, no matter how extremist uh, or how radicalized you were, you were welcome in, into, into Trump's group.
1: I think when John McCain, um, when the guy came up and advanced that birther conspiracy about Obama's birth certificate and John McCain told the guy, no, that's not who we are. You know, we don't I think, you know, we don't agree with that with that. That's not who we are as Republicans. I think Trump took that episode as a lesson, a lesson of don't do that. Don't alienate those people. We need those people because. When you alienate those people, they don't show up, they don't vote, they don't send in money, and we lose. So Trump looked at Mitt Romney as a moderate Republican, John McCain as a moderate Republican losing two elections in a row, and saying we can't play that anymore. We have to we have to bring in a a new set of people into the party to give us the extra numbers. And yes, it's people like you just saw in front of Disney that have been brought into the Republican Party. And let's also remember the knock-on effect of
0: the right-wing media, that every time this hatred of the left is spewed and the this kind of explicit language, stuff that is completely untrue, every time it is said on Fox or on, on news channels, every time it's written about in blogs or on, you know, right-wing chat rooms and message boards— it is building and creating more and more division and hatred in America. It leads to shootings. It leads to mass shootings and violence. And, and you know, it's almost as if the value of life is so cheap in the U.S. and with a proliferation of guns, that's
1: not a great combination. Absolutely. We saw it again this weekend with Biden uh, hung the pride flag outside the White House. That sent them into a tizzy all day on Saturday, um, saying how all he's trying to do is show inclusiveness. You know, we embrace these people. We embrace everybody. We're all the same. We're all Americans. We're all humans. That's all you're trying to do. But how the right spun that is that that was an anti American gesture, that by him doing that, he subordinated the American flag and they said, you know, people died in D Day. They wrapped it in, they folded it into the commemoration of the, the anniversary of D Day by saying, people died on the beaches of Normandy and yet their American flag is being usurped for the Pride flag. That the Pride flag is the Democrats' religion, it's their agenda, it's part of their cultural Marxism. So, yes. They took a harmless, inclusive thing, like putting a rainbow flag on the White House, and they turned it into something evil and divisive. That's what they do. And, and you know, visually, it's, it's very
0: impactful, you know, to show the clip of that on, on the news and to share it on social media. It is proof that Biden is too woke and he's trying to quote, indoctrinate Americans, normal Americans, right? Which means, you know, cisgender and Republican voting and white and and Christian or Christian extremists. I don't want to confuse like regular law-abiding Christians with with religious uh, fanaticism. But, you know, this is a huge problem because the Democrats don't fight back on stuff like this. Do you think they should Do more to explain what this means and how if 10 to 15 percent of the U.S. population is of the LGBTQ
1: plus community, then it might be a good idea to include them? They do. The thing that frustrates me, and I've said this before, is it's almost like they're they they either act like they're unaware of what the right is out there saying and doing about this stuff, or they just think like the best strategy is to ignore it. Um, I, I don't really understand. I I would definitely have aggressively went back at them, but you know, um, as far as that goes, I mean, you have like, for example, Ronnie Jackson trying to organize a, a boycott of Cracker Barrel because they had a rainbow chair outside the restaurant. You know, these are the kind of things like I definitely, my, yeah, there it is. You know, my strategy here would be to, to hit back and, and, you know, go back at them for how extreme and crazy they are to the average person. But it seems like the strategy from a lot of the leaders of the Democratic Party is to just ignore a lot of this stuff or, or to, you know, and, and just let the voters make up their own mind on it. But, you know, I, I don't think you can let things like this go. You know, tr- the problem with, the, with, with progressive
0: thinking is that a lot of this stuff just feels normal, right? So to be inclusive, to care about your your fellow man or woman or or trans person whoever to treat everybody equally that stuff just feels normal, and I think that's why it's difficult for some people on the left to feel the need to over explain. Yeah, because the the, that's the, it. the right has weaponized minority groups, and it's you know and over the years it's changed, and obviously the you know the civil rights movement made a made a a big shift. But then it kind of drops off again. So if they're not going for black and brown people, they're now going for for trans people, trans people in sports. Like every week, there's like a new victim, and 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 this, it's almost difficult for Republican uh, for sorry for Democrats to keep up with the hate.
1: I I I think you really put your finger on it really well there, Anthony. And I think that that really is the purpose of this show that we have, yeah. and what I do on Twitter which is really to make Democrats aware of what the right is doing, what they're saying, um, these culture war issues. Now, and then just, just to kind of let, yeah, to shake them a little bit, because I, I, I agree. I think they're, they're just like, well, they can't comprehend. I think most people can't comprehend how these people can get so upset over a rainbow rocking chair, but they do. And they do weaponize these things. And it does sink in with some of the American public. So, so, yeah, I think it's good for us to surface this stuff, make Democrats aware of them. And, you know, they can at least be prepared when they go to that family gathering or a wedding and, they're, and some MAGA uncle is there spouting off. At least they'll be armed with the tools to be able to respond to it.
0: Okay, we uh, we have to finish, but uh, you and I are going to be looking at the um, you know the the events of the next few days with with very keen eyes, and I look forward to having this conversation with you again next Wednesday, same time, and we'll uh, try and make some sense of it all. Uh, on Twitter, you're Ron Philipkowski. On Twitter, I'm the Anthony Davis. Please follow us and. Keep an eye out for everything that Ron posts. He's literally on it all day. I don't even see when he takes a lunch break. So (laughs) (laughs) there's a a lot of very interesting uh, stuff on there. Uh, You can catch me every day on the 5 Minute News podcast and on Sunday hosting The Weekend Show here on the Midas Media Network. See you next Wednesday.